0: Welcome, guys, and thank you for joining us on Colin for our new show, Unruly, with Ryan and Rob. This is your co-host, Ryan Knight, and I'm excited to be joined by our other co-host, Rob Bermudez.
1: Very excited to have everyone here today.
0: And we have a very special guest today. Uh, Jill, I want to welcome former Green Party presidential candidate, Dr. Jill Stein. Jill, welcome to Unruly.
2: Thank you so much. Really an honor to be here with all you um, unruly folks. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we've been looking forward uh, to this episode and I'm just grateful that we can have this conversation and be on this platform. And we want to thank everyone for, for joining us. And uh, we we'll, there'll be a section uh, in the second half of the show where you guys can ask questions and, and we would love your input and collaboration. That's what this is all about. So um, let's with that, with that said, let's just get going here. Um, look in, in the wake of the SCOTUS decision that was leaked on Roe, uh, Democrats have, of course, reverted to one of their favorite tricks, which is to blame you, Jill Stein, uh, Susan Sarandon, of course, and third party voters uh, for their party's failure to deliver and legislate for the people. Republicans have been telling us loudly and clearly for the past 50 years that they were going to overturn Roe, and they succeeded in large part because on the flip side, the Democrats have not been fighting for the past 50 years to codify abortion rights into law Even when they've had majorities, like under the Clinton administration and the Obama administration, Uh, and even right now, uh, with Roe set to be overturned uh, and Joe Biden and the Democrats having a majority, they still aren't fighting. And just this week, they chose to hold a symbolic vote that they knew wouldn't pass uh, instead of uh, abolishing the filibuster, which is the only way to codify Roe. Uh, Jill, what does it say to you about the Democrats that instead of using their power to legislate for the people, uh, they'd rather blame you and, and third party voters uh, for their party's failures? Uh, are they using you as a, as a convenient scapegoat?
2: Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, this, this is their playbook, which is to make promises and then not fulfill them by design. You know, either they don't try or they try very hard to ensure that they will be unable to fulfill those promises. For example, Nancy Pelosi is campaigning very hard right now for an anti-abortion uh, Democrat, uh, Henry Cuellar in Texas, a congressperson, that she and the Democrats are working very hard to reelect, rather than his progressive challenger, Jessica Cisneros, who is a progressive, pro-choice, Latina Democrat, and thanks to the Democratic Party and their enormous resources to shut out progressives, she will, you know, uh, invariably be shut out, much as Joe Manchin, uh, you know, the king of of the Democrats' um, uh helplessness, you know, their inability to fulfill any of their promises. You can always blame it on Joe Manchin. He can always be counted on to stop the delivery of the Democrats' promises. The Democrats worked very hard to ensure that he would be elected and reelected, I should say, into the right. last election by shutting out his very capable uh progressive democratic challenger, Paula Jean Swearingen, who was really just, you know, smashed by the progressive Democrats. And, and this is not the exception. This is what this is the rule. This is what they do all over the country, because it enables them to conveniently uh, be helpless, be unable to pass their agenda, uh, to run on their agenda and then to uh, basically fundraise and fearmonger against those they would like to blame. And yes, you know, so uh, Susan Sarandon, Bernie Sanders, myself, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, and many others, we are uh, convenient scapegoats who are really honored. You know, I feel honored by the Democrats making me such a powerful figure (laughs) and making me so, you know, so so relevant and giving me, uh, you know, a um, an entree into the public conversation. And I think what's really exciting is that we now have critical mass uh, among people who get what's going on here. You know, the game is up. The yeah. mask is off. This is helplessness by design on the part of the Democrats so they can fearmonger and fundraise, uh, rinse and repeat. You know, this is what they do.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, my entire life, uh, my entire voting life, I should say, which is the which is 20 years, you know, the past 20 years I've been voting. We've been stuck in the in this cycle. Um, And uh, I I know it's been going on even further than that, you know, where every election rolls around and Democrats tell us that democracy is on the ballot and basic human rights are on the ballot. But when they have power, <laughs> they don't actually fight for democracy or basic human rights. Instead, they fight for big business. They fight for the ruling class and, and the military-industrial complex, just just like the Republicans do. And we're seeing, unfortunately, the consequences of that right now as Democrats being in control of, of the White House, the House, and the Senate hasn't led to any meaningful change for the people or planet, but instead uh, has led to more military spending, more war... We've got more censorship, no health care, no living wages, no police reform, no abortion rights, record corporate profits, higher inflation and higher gas prices. Things have gotten worse for the people, yet Democrats are out there insisting that everything will be OK if we just vote harder for them. <laughs> I mean, when are people going to do like a sanity check? Like, Why in the hell would the people vote harder for a party that's not fighting for them at all? Jill, where does this delusional idea come from that the solution is to vote harder for Democrats when Democrats aren't delivering or fighting for us at all? And more importantly, with that said, what do you see as as the way forward for for the people in this country who are in desperate need of change and in desperate need, frankly, of a political system that works for them, not against them?
1: Did we lose you? Yeah, Jill, are you there? Can you hear us?
2: Do you hear me now? Hello?
0: Now we can hear you, yes.
2: Okay. Sorry about that. No yes, worries. Yes, I've been able to hear you. Um, and I was just going to say that um, if I could say a couple more words about.
0: Please. Oh no, this is why we needed our sound check.
1: <laughs> Sorry guys, Jim, just bear with it. us. We lost your audio again. Um, I'm, I'm Rob, is sure there something she's doing
0: with the microphone
1: maybe? Um, It doesn't show on my screen that she's been muting herself, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, maybe if she has an external microphone and the connection, like if a wire is loose or something, it might be doing that. But uh, Jill, can you, if you can hear us... Um, we're still here. Uh, we just can't quite hear you at the moment. So...
0: Make sure your ringer's oh, turned
1: on. Oh, okay. The other you.
0: Oh, Joe, you, you just came back right now. We haven't heard anything you've said. Do you... Do you is your wife, make sure your Wi-Fi is turned on and, and like you're not getting any text messages um, that could interfere. Uh, unfortunately, you keep cutting out, but you just oh, came wow. back o- online right now.
2: All right. That is really weird.
0: Um, Let me just. Do you have a strong Wi-Fi signal at the moment?
2: Honey.
3: Oh, man.
1: Well, this is this is a first. We haven't. Yeah, we haven't, had any, <laughs> we, we haven't had any glitches.
0: This is like our eighth or ninth uh, show here on Colin, and this is the first big technical issue we've had. Um, Jill, are you there? Well, Jill is, is, is kind of struggling with her audio. Uh, I see Susan there. Do you want to unmute yourself, Susan, and do you want to join the conversation? Let me
1: see if Susan's. Jill just dropped from speakers to listeners, so Ryan, why don't you promote her? Okay. To to speak and see. Let's see. I love technology until it doesn't work. (laughs) Uh,
0: Let's see. Invite to speak. What a bummer.
1: There we go. There we go. Now, if you just unmute yourself.
0: There we go. There you are.
2: We are back. We're back. I'm very sorry. I wonder if the NSA is involved.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> They're trying to shut us down. So just to just to refresh everyone, basically, my question was, where does this delusional idea come from that the solution is to vote harder for Democrats when Democrats aren't delivering or fighting for us at all? And secondly, more importantly, what, what do you see as the way forward for the people who are in desperate need of of a political system that works for us, not against us?
2: Great. And, and before I answer that, I want to just quickly get in, if I can, yes. that, uh, that this is inexcusable, um, that the Democrats have had 60 votes in the Senate to pass, uh, you know, to, to codify Roe v. Wade uh, on three occasions under Carter, under Clinton and under Obama. They had years under each of those to get the job done. Each time, well, at least under Clinton, I'm sorry, under uh, under Obama. Uh, and likewise, under Biden, it was promised that this was going to be their first priority. You know, and, and under Obama, it was very clear that was going to be the first thing he did upon assuming the presidency. And it was nowhere to be found for his entire presidency. So, you know, this has been rather intentional abandonment of women, and the right to choose. Um, where does this come from? You know, I think this is just the Democrats' playbook, their playbook of, of uh, pretended helplessness when it comes to actually doing something, and their fundraising strategy to keep this issue alive and to use it to continuously uh, fearmonger and fundraise every time it comes to uh, election time. And for the way out you know i I feel like we're in a really um you know intense moment right now that people are uh at the breaking point and beyond the breaking point whether you look at 140 million people uh in or near poverty um uh the what is it 147 million something like that who uh do not, ha- I'm sorry, it's 87 million who do not have health insurance at all or who have inadequate health insurance. It's 47 million, uh, people who are locked into student debt. It's a half a million people who do not have a place to sleep every night. Um, you know, the numbers are absolutely staggering. And what are the Democrats doing? You know, they're leading the charge for this, uh, outrageous uh, war, this proxy war in Ukraine, which could have been prevented. That's a whole other story, but this is a war of choice. It is a war by design. That's not to uh, excuse or justify the Russian invasion by any means, but it's to understand how we got here. There were innumerable opportunities to avert this crisis, which is really a Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse, and on steroids, probably the most dangerous uh, nuclear moment in the history of the planet. And we are being endangered, not only endangered, we are being impoverished by this. And instead of funding healthcare or for $20 billion, we could ensure that everyone is housed for the next year. Uh, instead, the Democrats have really led the charge. They're not just collaborating with the military-industrial complex. They are leading the military-industrial complex right now in many ways, but particularly on war funding. And they have now spent, it will have been, $53 billion in less than three months that's more than the annual expenditure uh, in Afghanistan over the past 20 years. So war spending has gone absolutely ballistic without debate, without discussion, with 100% of Democrats voting in favor. It's absolutely breathtaking and staggering that well, priority.
0: Yeah, well, a- a- anytime we ask a question, we're accused of being uh, Russian bots or, you know, Putin propagandists. and. One thing, though, that I've always said and used my platform to say that, like, look, if if you really want peace, if you want the war to end, you don't end a war by sending billions of dollars of weapons. You you end the war by using the bil- the biggest bully pulpit in the world, which is the which is the White House. And Joe Biden should be should be demanding peace talks and sh- and, and should be talking about diplomacy and peace every single day. Instead, he's doing uh, press conferences from from Lockheed Martin. And bragging about, oh, we're making missiles and javelins in America now. And and, and it is. It's, it's to see just the blatant warmongering and imperialism now from the Democrats. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. And even the AOC and the squad, they kind of complained about it, but they still voted for it. And Bernie voted for, for this new $40 billion. Uh, well, again, we have massive crisis happening in our own home. And they won't spend money to help the people here. But they'll, but they'll spend money to continue this proxy war, and it's because they're funded by the weapons manufacturers, you know, both parties are. And so, again, we're just seeing the military-industrial complex control both parties, control our government again, and we're kind of stuck in this stalemate. And I think here's the thing. The silver lining is more and more people understand, right, that both parties are corrupt and beholden to corporate interests. They understand that big money controls everything in Washington, D.C., and rightfully, they're starting to get frustrated because they don't see an effective way to fight back against all of this and to fight back against a political system that's so rigged against us. So, Joe, do you want to talk about some of you know, the, the ways that we can fight back against this this corporate duopoly from writing ballot initiatives uh, to supporting third parties to building up the Green Party to direct action, mutual aid, sustained protest. Just, you know, what are some solutions for all of this? Because I know people that I'm hearing from are so tired of both of these mm-hmm. parties, but they don't feel like they have a way out necessarily from this duopoly.
2: Uh, exactly. And I want to add to your list. Um, maybe it was there and I didn't catch it, but, you know, direct action and civil disobedience and, and building the movement out in the streets, you know, and there are all kinds of ways to do that and on all kinds of issues, you know, whether it's supporting... Um, uh, unions, whether it's, uh, supporting, uh, people on strike, uh, whether it is, um, you know, demanding, uh, healthcare, you know, whatever the issue is, whether it's large or small, there are just, you know, so many ways to be out there building the social movement. And I think for us to be connecting our social movements too, so that we don't allow ourselves to be splintered. And we're making, you know, a real effort to cross-link because you know, they want us to play the divide and conquer. They want us to be fragmented. But I want to also add that there are, uh, really, um, you know, uh, inspired, visionary, honorable candidates who are not part of the machine and who have really proven their, uh, their utter, uh, defiance and disdain for that machine. Um, I would include in that, for example, Matthew Ho, who was right. the sole State Department official who had a nice, cushy job in Kabul, Afghanistan, in 2010, I think, when Obama was surging again in Afghanistan. And uh, Matt had been a vet for many years, had served in Iraq and Afghanistan long enough to see what the game really was that was played for 20 years, um, you know, and the lies that surround it, that prevent accountability. He saw it, you know, and... And when that surge happened, he very publicly quit, wrote a letter, made that letter public. It wound up on the front page of many uh, large publications like The Washington Post. And, you know, he has been a, a real servant of the people uh, in opposing the war and in supporting a real, you know, people's agenda. Uh, you know, I think he calls himself a socialist as well as a green. So he's really got the agenda and has proven, you know, the integrity. And I didn't, you know, encourage people support this guy, you know, he's running in a Senate election, uh, in North Carolina, where the incumbent is uh, uh, retiring. So, uh, and there are, I believe, five candidates in the race. And it's really important when the old, um, you know, mythology is tr- trotted out that, oh, he's a spoiler. It's like, well, wait a minute, you know, which one is the lesser evil now? Because it's very clear. I mean, at this point, it's very clear who is leading the charge for the military industrial complex uh, and for censorship. And on the other issues, you know, it's kind of a wash as far as I can tell, you know, so so those who would have shut us down before because uh, we uh, rebels are, you know, the so-called spoilers, you know, I, I think the 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 absurdity of that argument is made clear right now that the mask has come off of the Democrats. And Matt is certainly the only person fighting for uh, single payer uh, Medicare for all, you know, for housing as a human right, for a job as a human right, for a Green New Deal and 100 uh, percent clean, renewable energy and a plan yeah. to get there and to provide jobs while we're at it. You know, so this is the, this is a candidate for us, and and I think it's really important. You know, a lot of people are so pissed off at politics they don't want to come, you know, within six feet of anything. But I would encourage people. You know, we got to do both. You know, we can't give them a pass in the halls of power. They need to be challenged. In the words of Frederick Douglass, "Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, and it never will." So, we want to be there. I think fighting on strategic challenges as well as, you know, out there in the streets and um, and all the rest.
1: Recent polls have really shown that there's a number of voters who previously were either Democrat or Republican that are saying they've kind of had enough. And, and the popularity, yes. Yes. Um, the, the willingness of people to want to be able to vote for third parties is, is kind of at a, a recent high. And when you look at the actual list of policies that on the green party's platform there's a lot of things that are vastly popular amongst people when it comes to medicare for all when it comes to legalizing cannabis Um, it's really quite interesting to look at the two platforms the the democrat and the green platform and to see that the people overwhelmingly responds to a lot of what the green party is offering and yet i think one of the main reasons people have in the past decided not to vote for the green party is because they say well i don't think it's viable i don't think there's a chance of winning how do we change the perception especially in a time like right now where so many people are disheartened they feel like what's the point of politics how can the green party and other third parties come together and really be kind of a beacon of hope and and, and take advantage of this situation and what do kind of everyday regular people need to do to kind of uh, let this process happen so that it's not more of, well, I like the Greens, but I don't think they have a chance, so I'll just vote blue again.
2: Yeah, I mean, in my experience, uh, people really respond to candidates more than parties, you know, it's like when they hear the fear mongering from Democrats, they they might, you know, pull back. But um, I think that begins to change, you know, and it especially changes when you point out to people that what have you got to lose, you know, by by voting, you know, uh, on behalf of yourself and your values and your urgent needs? And um, when I was first tricked into running for office, and that was back in the year 2002 when I ran for governor in Massachusetts, you know, our campaign, which had a very analogous um, agenda and platform, you know, to what we have now um, – We were completely ignored and um, written off, and we fought our way into a televised debate where they made the mistake of doing an instant online viewer poll and publicizing it, you know, in the in the TV in the in the broadcast image, so people could see this poll, and. When I walked out of that debate, which had been uh, in a studio without an audience, so nobody really to react to or read, and I, you know, the ideas like healthcare as a human right, or green jobs and green energy, um, education, higher education as a human right, all of that was, it just went over like a lead balloon in that little TV studio where it was just the candidates and the moderators, like nobody even bothered to rebut those ridiculous ideas. And when we walked out to the waiting press, I was mobbed by the press who told me I won the debate on the instant online viewer poll, which said to me, oh, my God, we actually don't have to change people's minds. They just need to know that this option is here. And I I love what I just heard you say about, you know, how can we get together? Because I think getting together is the name of the game. We get together on the issues of people, planet and peace over profit because we can't actually accomplish any of this agenda without accomplishing all of it. And, you know, we're facing existential threats here on, on many fronts, whether you're talking climate, the crushing economy, endless war, um, uh, you know, the threat of uh, nuclear annihilation. Uh, you know, we've, we've got these converging threats. We need to deal with them together and whether we come together in the social fights where we where we live in our communities uh, and whether we collaborate around candidates. I think that's really what we need to do. And back before Bernie Sanders launched his 2016 campaign, there was an intentional uh, gathering of progressive lefty uh, parties that uh, came together to explore how can we start working together. And then Bernie Sanders announced his campaign. And that coalition like scattered to the wind because, you know, there was a whole lot of sheepdogging going on. And that goes on repeatedly. This is what the Democrats do all the time. Um, but we had a good thing that was started. And maybe it's time to get that going again, to consider where can we begin uh, collaborating? Because there's so much that our agendas are, you know, essentially identical. Um, can we start just getting our forces together? I should mention, actually, out in California right now, the Greens and PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, are collaborating, uh, I think, in their uh, in their slate for statewide office, which includes, I believe, there's a governor, lieutenant governor, maybe a secretary of state, and a comptroller, I believe. So they have a slew of candidates who are who are greens and psl and maybe there's a socialist thrown in there i'm not sure but you know i think the the concept is a really exciting one and and it would be really great i think to start brainstorming a um you know a conference which is what we were doing in chicago back in 2016 when this uh when this group which was called left elect when we began to get together and brainstorm uh, how we were going to make this happen maybe we need to just you know, get back, get back started again.
0: I think that's a great idea. And actually you're you're reading my mind because I was going to ask you about (laughs) Bernie Sanders. That was like the next part here in in the discussion, Um, because I think one of the things that's holding back what you're talking about, uh, having more of a collaborative effort, uh, kind of bringing together third parties and also working with revolutionary socialists uh, who, who just want to, you know, build a more revolutionary party and do, uh, you know, direct action and mutual aid in the street. But one of the things that I think is holding all that back is, you know, it's hard when you've got the mo- The movement is so fragmented right now where literally half mm-hmm. the people who, who think they're in a progressive movement, but really they're just they're just being sh- sheep herded into the Democratic Party. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I was going to ask. You, you know, Ber- mm-hmm. I, I think Bernie Sanders did a good job of raising awareness about the most pressing issue of our time. Uh, which is the historic levels of wealth inequality that are produced by our capitalist system. The problem is he took all of this awareness and energy and funneled it into one of the two parties that exist to serve the ruling class and squash the working class. Uh, Jill, I know that you asked Bernie to join you in 2016 and he declined. Why do you think Bernie continues to lead his supporters even deeper into a corrupt corporate party that opposes every single one of the policies that he claims to fight for? And what is it gonna take for these so-called progressives to realize that you cannot change the Democratic Party? The Democratic Party changes you.
2: Exactly, you know, um, Bernie did this twice. You know, he did the same thing in 2020 that he did in 2016. He just funneled his supporters right back into the system. And, you know, why does he do that? He himself said, you know, he didn't want to quote, wind up like Ralph Nader, close quote, meaning, you know, he's just part of that social group. He can't conceive of life outside of kind of the beltway social circles. I presume I can't read his mind, but that's what, um, I infer from his statement that he didn't want to wind up like Ralph Nader. He doesn't want to be ostracized and demonized and all those great things that we get to have when we, you know, you know what it's like when you stand up against the, um, against the machine. Um, my impression and believe me you know i've been i've been um beating my head against the wall on this uh, really for 20 years as a political activist and for about 20 years uh as a social activist before that and what I find over and over is that if you're trying to persuade people, if you're trying to change people's minds, it will take you forever. On the other hand, if you just start reaching out to the people who are already being slammed by student mm-hmm. debt, by, um, by brutality at the workplace, by dehumanizing jobs, by unemployment, by a healthcare system that uh, is predatory and which basically shuts out those who need it most, um, simply by strategically targeting our efforts so that we're we're empowering and mobilizing mm. disenfranchised communities who are already with us. That's the name of the game, and that's why mm. we became a threat in 2016 because we had enough uh, firepower to really start doing that, and we became really quite a threat to where they had to start uh viciously demonizing us. And to me, it says that we were really on to something. And, you know, I think that's the name of the game. the The old guard is aging out. There is no doubt about that. It is people of privilege and largely, you know, older generation, because privilege is now divided by generations as well. You know, very hard for people who are entering into the workforce who are not, the, you know, uh, within the aristocracies and, and you know, the upper 10%. It's, it's very hard for people to fight their way to security of any sort. You know, we see the ranks of the impoverished and near poverty expanding all the time. And, you know, that's where the money is, you know. And, and I'll just uh, conclude this remark here saying Alice Walker has a wonderful quote about this, which is that the biggest way people give up power is by not knowing we have it to start with. We mm. have it. And the ranks of the um, uh, of of the uprising and the potential uprising are growing by the hour. And you know, as horrible as the situation is that we're f- facing now, you know, the crushing economy, you know, the um, you know, the half of America whose income is contained by the three biggest billionaires. You know, it's like people are being just squashed here. This is a horrible situation. Um, you know, uh, hundreds of mi- hundreds of thousands of people, I think it's about 300,000, died from COVID because uh, uh, they did not have access to uh, health care or health insurance. That has been statistically linked. Um, that is the uh, greatly elevated risk and the large numbers, approximately one in three, of COVID deaths have been linked to, uh, the absence of health insurance and the access to good care, um, and support and, and all that. Um, so, you know, there, there, there are so many people who are hurting right now by reaching out strategically to them, um, uh, on many of these issues. There's just, uh, you know, there's a, a real uprising to be, um, you know, that's that's waiting in the wings.
1: It, it seems like we're, especially like, I'm 28 years old, so as a moderately young person, it just seems like the time for incrementalism has, has passed by a no. wide margin. And no. the system just, it, it, it appears as though every day the system is entrenching itself further. It's passing laws, passing Bills to increase funding to military, to crack down on dissent, to continue censorship. So if we look at kind of the large-scale change that we need to to really move us towards an equitable future, um, how would you say, because other countries have had issues with with systems and governments that don't work, and there have been revolutions that have been successful, how can we look to revolutions within the global south and and kind of look to see what other countries have done in similar times and, and see how we can rise up so as to not just be willing to accept the few scraps that get tossed to us every few years when they say, oh, they're getting just angry enough, we got to give them something to appease them without actually changing a system that is continuing to oppress black and brown and poor and, and marginalized communities left and right.
2: Well, that's a really great question, and I'm sure there are people – um, on this call tonight who can probably answer it better than me. But, you know, I'll just point to some of the uh, incredible uh, revolutionary transformations like uh, in Brazil under under Lula. And there's a chance, you know, a very strong chance, you know, Lula is back and could potentially be reelected, um, uh, you know, there are certainly, you know, just staggering accomplishments in the, in the Cuban Revolution um, and and Venezuela. Now, there are problems as well. They are also incredibly um, oppressed and undermined and sabotaged from, uh, you know, from our very own, you know, U.S. empire that has attempted to exercise consistent regime change uh, against them. You know, so, um, progressive transformative change is difficult, I think. And, uh, and, and it's not, there's not an easy, uh, an easy way forward. At the same time, you know, I want to underscore what you said, that if you look at the numbers right now, the discontent is off the charts. The uh, numbers of people who are calling for more options than the same old two parties, there's a poll done every year by Gallup, it's now higher than it's ever been. It's at like 62%. If you look at the approval ratings for Democrats and Republicans, they're both underwater. That is, they both have an approval rate of about 33%, and they're underwater to the tune of, I don't know, 38, 40%, something like that, who... Uh, disapprove of them um, and you know if you just look at the sentiment um, uh, on other uh, opinion polls for example the faith in our media is running somewhere around 29 percent I think which is the lowest among 46 industrialized countries in whom this poll was done by Reuters I believe you know people have really recognized that the media uh, the corporate media is not on our side, which makes independent media like, like our present hosts here so uh, very important. If you look at public faith in governmental institutions, it's running somewhere like 25%. And if you look among uh, young people that is under age 25, like down to 16 or so, the faith in government is somewhere more like 21%. And what is perhaps, you know, maybe the most damning statistic of all is to look at just the mindset of young people. Um, this is according to no less uh, than a Harvard poll, uh, which found that one half of all young people under age 25 now uh, are hopeless for the future and Twenty-five percent, one quarter of young people um, consider doing harm to themselves because things are so despairing uh, within the last two weeks. You know, so this is like uh, as bad as it gets that that people are thoroughly uh, disgusted, alienated, disconnected from the system. That there be being offered you know and 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 companion statistics there are that the deaths from a drug overdose are off the chart now an unprecedented 100,000 plus and the diseases of of despair that is uh depression suicide alcoholism drugs etc diseases of despair are also off the charts and um you know contributing to a actual reduction in lifespan, which is happening here in the U.S. now quite uh, profoundly for several years running. So, which is to say, you know, we are beyond the breaking point right now, which is an incredible opportunity. And I just want to keep stressing that in my experience and, you know, you know, take um, Frederick Douglass's experience for it, you know, you have to fight back. And in the fight back, when we can be heard, That alone is transformative and I wouldn't worry about the foot draggers because there are so many people right now who will just, you know, jump for joy when they're offered an opportunity to cancel their student debt or to have uh, a union and to be able to fight for a contract that, you know, that ensures that they are not being exploited by all these uh, commodification measures, all these instruments that are constantly pushing them to distraction and despair because they're being constantly monitored and really pushed beyond beyond the brink. This is a revolution waiting to happen. And and I think it's on us to get organized to make this possible.
1: If I could just – I know Ryan is going to want to ask a question. Just one <laughs> quick brief No, thing. Rob, take it away. You're doing awesome. You're killing totally. it tonight. I, I agree with everything you've said. The mm-hmm. one thing that makes me a little hesitant is I thought that during 2020 when we saw the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. protests, that mm-hmm. was a, a, you know, when was the last time we'd seen people come out in force in those numbers in this yes. country and the yes. history, right? And mm. the takeaway from that was a lot of positive energy that didn't Mm -hmm. get funneled into something that gave us tangible reduction in police budgets. It didn't lead to anything other than mostly increased police budgets. And then now, uh, whether it's the, the the New York times, the Washington post blaming any, any kind of bump in crime, they will constantly say, well, that's because they were defunding the police, even though in almost every single situation, Mm -hmm. police budgets have gone up at the city level, county level, state, federal such and such. So, how how can we make sure that in this particular time, where you have this many people upset and ready for change, ready for a revolution, ready for not just the the crumbs to be thrown at them, but ready for systematic changes that will actually impact their quality of life? How do we make sure we don't fall uh, down the same path and and have a lot of energy that just kind of dissipated and left yes. us without any tangible legislative victories?
2: Well, that is the question of the hour. I think that is the question of social change. And, you know, there again, um, uh, in Frederick Douglass's words, power conceives nothing without a demand. That demand has to be there. And, um, you know, like, as you rightly pointed to before, you know, what some of the experience we can look to and what what I neglected to say is that, you know, we really have to look to the role of striking, you know, and withholding our labor. (laughs) And, you know, that means labor, labor that's organized to start with, and it means labor that's supported. And it means, you know, uh, at the end of the day, um, our capacity to shut the system down and to um, bring the wheels of destruction to a grinding halt. And, you know, I think it's really important. You can't just call the general strike, you know, We've forgotten how to strike and, um, there's a lot of preparation and organizing to be done in the meantime. But I don't think we're going to change this system without actually, you know, forcing its hand and, and taking power in the interim. And that means that along with everything else, we need to learn how to collaborate to build and support strikes that are occurring and then to build capacity towards the general strike. And in order to do any of this, you know, cause you never know what's around the corner and you, you know, you can't just have like plan A and plan B. You need to have kind of uh, a working team and a working network and the ability to collaborate and improvise on your feet and, and um, morph into different strategies as they're needed. So, you know, in my 40 years of organizing, the bottom line to me is that we need to organize ourselves. And in that sense, the Democrats have really given us a gift here by taking off the mask and by showing so clearly, as has been done really in the last two weeks here, really showing so, uh, you know, so crystal clearly what their priority is, that their priority is really funding this uh, devastating War, which could have been avoided and could be shut down in a heartbeat now, uh, if they were willing to do the right thing, uh, that is Biden and NATO. Um, uh, you know, we, we need to, um, we need to challenge the, the, um, the war complex that is their priority. And we need to say, no, we need to be your priorities. And here is what we must have. That's why I think you know, moving forward in an organized way and beginning with a conference, you know, where we compare what what are we doing as political parties and as activists? And, you know, how can we build common cause here and get to critical mass? Because divided and conquered, we will never get to critical mass. But if you look at the numbers of people now who are being um, slaughtered on, on the economy, on health care, on housing, on student debt, right there alone, we have the people power to really compel change.
0: Yeah, you've hit on so many uh, good points tonight, Jill. And I think number one is just is collaborating. You know, we have so many uh, left left-wing parties. You know, we have From Socialist Alternative to PSL to the Green Party to, you know, the Communist Party to the uh, Revolutionary Marxist Socialist Party. And I think that coming together, understanding that the fight needs to happen, you know, needs to happen on the street. It also needs to happen and it can happen in the halls of power if we can get someone into the halls of power that can. And and that to me is is the sole purpose of electoral politics. There's some people who are like, there's no point for me. It's like it's the education. Because the only reason I woke up was because of Bernie Sanders campaign and I might not support Bernie Sanders anymore. But if there wasn't a Bernie Sanders, then I would have my eyes would have never been opened to how corrupt the system is. So I think it's important to understand that we can use electoral politics as a tool to help wake people up to how corrupt the system is, to how corrupt both parties are and that we need because it. For me, and this comes to the conclusion of capitalism is not working. You know, it's working for the people it was intended to work for, which is the ruling class and and big business and and the military industrial complex. And we need a system that puts that's organized around the people, that's organized around the working class, not around the ruling class. And I like what you've said tonight about, you know, there's the comfortable and the powerful are always going to be against any kind of revolutionary force that is Fighting back against the system and fighting back against the status quo, because frankly, the system's working for them. So they don't see the pain. They don't feel the pain. They don't know the pain. But we have to remember, like you've said so eloquently, like this fight isn't about them. This fight isn't about the people who are like, oh, no, you just need to vote blue no matter who. You know, this fight isn't about the pe- the comfortable elitist liberal who's trying to gatekeep and who's la- who who has health care and doesn't care about the 87 million people who are underinsured or uninsured. You know, that this fight isn't about the people who want to keep throwing their power away to a party that doesn't care about them. This fight is about the people who want liberation and justice for all people. And I think organizing around that principle... Understanding that there are so many people who want to live in a better world because I, I myself can get so caught up in being so frustrated that the mm-hmm. people who yeah. used to think like me, look, mm-hmm. in 2016, I, I, I didn't vote for you. I regret it, <laughs> in <laughs> fact, and that's why that's how we met. Like, I apologized to you on Twitter one day when I finally realized, like, that's how right. evil the Democrats were for basically spending so much time and energy demonizing you. Because they, they they don't want to actually govern for the people and and, and, and I, when I saw that I thought, God why Jill Stein an apology because I, I repeated the DNC propaganda. like I was I, I was part of that complex and now on the other side of it it's it's the, the, the frustrating part is people don't usually wake up as fast as we need them to. People unfortunately don't wake up until it happens to them right until they lose their health care or they lose their job. And unfortunately for me, it's like, I just wish people could see how many people in this country and in this world are living in pain right now. And we don't have any more time to wait for you to have to reach that level of uncomfort, right? 140 million Americans are poor or low income. We need change right now, not when it necessarily happens to you, because you're a little privileged and you can sit and vote blue no matter who. So that that's really, you know, that's kind of been one of my things is it is hard, but I have to understand that. The same growth and and the same, you guys gave me the space to grow. And so we need to give people the space to grow and change. Because at the end of the day, if our country's ever going to grow and change, it is going to take a mass movement. It is going to take collaboration. We can't fall into the divide and conquer traps. That the, the Democrats and Republicans, that's why they spend so much time dividing us, because while they're dividing us, they're busy rigging the system against us and governing for the for the ruling class. And, and, and that's what they do. And so we can't blame our neighbors if our neighbor voted differently than us. We have to understand who profits off the division. And that is the people in power and, and big business. And we have to come up with solutions that are about centering the people and, and about bringing getting to a system where there is no more exploitation. Um, I wanna open it up to people. Uh, Rob, do we have any callers? Let's get some callers in here.
1: We do. I'm currently listed as a speaker, not a host. So it's gonna be on you today. Uh, All right, let's start
0: with Sean. Sean, do you wanna unmute yourself and ask Jill a question?
1: Sure. Um,
4: Thank you very much for having this conversation. It's very important. Um, I was uh, inspired by video games for an idea to create uh, in a political organization, maybe not necessarily a party, but a political organization. And people spend thousands of dollars and thousands of hours playing video games to escape into a world where they have some control of the outcomes. And I think that with the technology we have available today that we can give people a sense of that self-actualization that they get from those video games. Um, By Mm -hmm. one, embracing direct democracy. We can vote for a presidential ticket for all 12 members of the cabinet and deliver a specific political agenda all across the country. Um, And if we created, like, a ranking system, like a a video game in one of those communities, people could get points for organizing events, attending events. Um, If you don't have your health or for whatever reason you can't get out, there's plenty of work that people can do behind the scenes that they could get points for and maybe have... Amplify tweets, make connections, make networks, promote mutual aid and direct action. Uh, Get people to start their own media stuff for their local areas instead of just having people who who make commentary on, on national stuff on YouTube. I think we really need to start getting creative. In the ways that we organize ourselves because we're fighting institutions that have been around for centuries. We're fighting billions of dollars. We're fighting against the system that's designed to freeze us out. And the top-down political structures, like even the Green Party, um, they're very easily co-opted. Very Great. easily co-opted. And I think technology yeah. actually, like, we live in the 21st century now we need to figure out how to use this stuff to our favor the intelligence apparatus and in the military understand this and utilize this
0: cool hey and thank you so much sean for for your commentary jill do you want us to respond and i think you're having speaking of technology we, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties but i think i heard the bulk of you uh, of your question and your commentary about just being outside of the box and embracing uh, new technology and video games as kind of a creative way to, to, to organize in a different way. Joe. what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I think, John, that's a really cool idea. And I wanted to just let you know that there is a, um, a committee within uh, Veterans for Peace that works with uh, video games. And they're, they're called Gamers for Peace. And they're into, you know, exploring novel uses of video games to educate people. And I would just recommend that to you to check out. And you may find that, um, you know, that that there may be some uh, synergy there. And otherwise, thank you very much uh, for your comments. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Sean. I think that was a, that was a great idea. Uh, d- let me add the next caller. Let's see.
1: While you're doing that, Ryan, I just want to say I think the one the one weapon that we have over the, the kind of – the capitalists that are in charge is they are so incredibly unoriginal. They are afraid <laughs> to think outside of the box. They're afraid – they genuinely no can't conceive of a world outside of the framework that they're used to. And I think if we have any chance of, of making some real progress, we have to outsmart them. And not mm-hmm. try to beat them at their own game because they know their game better than, better than we do and they know how to slide by the rules and how to stop where – this is normally where traction would happen. So we're going to stop it before it gets there. So us mm-hmm. as, as like revolution, revolutionary thinkers, we have to think creatively and I think that's the advantage we have is we can think about things from a different standpoint because we're not constraining our ideology, our ideas to what the mm-hmm. system is going to allow – we can think about what we want it to be and and then get creative on how to get there.
0: uh, Great. Shamaka, do you wanna unmute yourself and and ask a question? Just click the lower uh, right corner of your screen, that little mute button, you can unmute yourself and then you'll be live.
2: And I want to say hi to Shamako while he's coming on, my my long-lost buddy that I haven't seen in many years. Thank you so much for all you're doing and for coming on tonight. And I hope we can get you on. Me too. You will have something amazing to say.
1: All you have to do is unmute yourself. Yeah, it's uh, a microphone, microphone icon in the bottom right corner. If you tap it once, it'll... Un- oh, there you go. Hello? Right. Hello? Yeah. hello. Yes, you're on. You're live.
3: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jill, what's hey. up? Hi. I emailed you. Um, oh, thank you. Yes, yes. It's so good to hear your voice. Great to hear you. We should connect. Um, yeah. So am I, am I talking
0: right now? Am I supposed to be talking you right now? Right you're on? live. You're oh, amazing. Okay. You're great. talking and you sound great.
3: Right. Ryan, Rob, thank you uh, for hosting the space. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'm calling in um, as uh, a member of the Green Party um, and also as a member of the Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign, a uh, Philly-based organization um, founded by folks like Sherry Honkula, um, who, of course, was Jill's 2012 uh, vice presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: My running and, mate,
3: yes. And right, and running, that's right. And uh, so, a couple things uh, I wanted to just throw out there. Uh, and I feel like the last caller um, sort of referenced it. Um, so, one thing, I, uh, so, first is um, what is everybody's thought on the role of culture, cultural workers, mm-hmm. um, and art um, in creating uh, a new vision and shining a light um, or deepening? Um, the sort of polarization that we see taking place mm-hmm. or maybe providing clarity. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, in the spirit of P-PERK, um, in, in what way or at what point do things like direct a- direct action, um, like housing takeovers um, or, um, you know, concrete grassroots labor organizing, like the, the, the recent Amazon story, what role okay. do these things play in all of it? So take one or both or however you guys Contra- want to do that.
2: Great. Thank you, Shamako. As usual, you're hitting the nail on the head here. Um, And for people who aren't familiar with the acronym P-PERC that Shamako referred to, that's the short name for the Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign. Um, So, yeah, I mean, totally, I couldn't agree with you more that arts and culture and music really are the glue that keep us together as a society that enable us to bond way beyond our little group who however we define that that art just you know it's like kind of the pulse that brings us together that unifies us and it's so critical and you know i don't think you know uh there won't be a revolution without it for sure and then um on the question of direct action and civil disobedience Absolutely. And, you know, the general strike is the big version of that, but there are all kinds of smaller and specific versions, whether it's supporting strikers at Amazon or supporting the strikers, for example, uh, at the um, Met Coal plant in Alabama, where they've been on strike for over a year and just have had incredible support really from the local community and all over the country. You know, that kind of support is really critical and that kind of action is so important. And, uh, you know, we've just seen political parties get corrupted over and over again. Um, uh, power corrupts and all power corrupts, absolutely. And it's a constant struggle, you know, to to fight that. And it's really important, I think, that that our efforts to organize politically uh can't stand alone you know there has to be just really strong social movements that are out in the street and uh taking direct and specific action so absolutely right on thank you so much for bringing that up well said Shimako.
0: and i actually have another question for you joe would you ever consider another presidential run maybe in 2024 is that something on the table or or are you have you put that hat to bed
2: <laughs> um you know I am I'm certainly not um it's not in the game plan at the moment. Uh I am still under the gun, you know. I was investigated for 3 years by the Senate Intelligence Committee for being a supposed um Russian asset, which was really exhausting and uh now I am under the gun with the Federal Election Commission, which is trying to get me to repay public funding, saying that um, we didn't qualify for it. But this is public funding that was used to get on the ballot, and I'm in court actually with them right now, which is a real pain in the butt. I have a wonderful set of attorneys, I have to say, and I want to give a shout out especially to um, the Center for Competitive Democracy that feels like it's really important that alternative parties and independents have access to the ballot and that we have equal access to public funding. And that's really what our fight is about. Um, You know, uh, this has been going on now for two years and has totally taken over my life. And I'm hoping to get this over with soon enough that I can plunge in again full to the next thing. And I am a political animal. I I feel like it's just so important to fight the power um, politically as well as, you know, in our social movements. And so I could very well wind up running for something. What that is... I don't know. And I'm just hoping I can hurry up and wrap this other thing up and get on with it. Thank you for asking.
0: (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the the voter suppression, because I actually wanted to get to that, because that's a big part of, you know, one of the reasons these parties stay so entrenched uh, and we don't see a third party rising up is because they deliberately uh, block third parties from getting access to the ballot. Now, I think the corporate media does a good job of reporting on GOP voter suppression, but they completely ignore how the Democrats also engage in their own form of of voter suppression uh they are just a lot sneakier about it democrats actively suppress voter choice in this country by working to suppress third parties ability to get on the ballot uh receive public funding and and they even went so far as to sue to kick the green party uh, off the ballot Mm -hmm. in several states Mm -hmm. in 2020 right i mean let's be clear about this if you truly believe in democracy then you support the people's right to have a real choice at the ballot box And, and newsflash the people being forced to choose between two corporate parties is not a real choice. Jill, yeah. why do you think Democrats are given a free pass to suppress voter choice in this country? And, um, you know, what can we do to help you in this fight you're having right now? Because I think that fight you're having right now, look, they attacked you because you were a threat to the system. Like you were polling at one point in 2016. I, I went back and look, you were at almost five percent. You know, you were getting, that's a, that might not seem a lot, a, like a lot to a lot of people, but that is a lot in a country that is dominated by these two powerful parties. And I feel like as much as they, they meant to attack your character, they were also attacking the people because they're stopping, the, the, what the Democrats are doing is they're basically saying, look, if you go be a Jill Stein, if you fight for dignity and justice for all people, if you try to organize a real leftist movement and a real leftist political party, then we will come at you with the entire Uh, With with all of our money and our power and the state, And, and and so I think that to me is they. I mean, I feel terrible in the ways that they've demonized you, and and I actually want to know personally how that feels for you to have literally been demonized and accused falsely accused of being a Russian asset, but then. What effect does that have? I mean, are they basically doing that to warn anyone else? Like, if you dare get out of line like Jill Stein, if you dare fight for the people and try to grow a real movement, we'll do exactly what we did to her. We'll do it to you, too. I mean, it, it felt like that, like that anyone who threatens and challenges the Democratic Party and calls out their corruption, that this is the playbook they'll use. They'll call you a Russian asset. They, they will they will you know, sue you. They will take you to court. They'll do everything to stop the people from having a real political choice.
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like we all pay a price in our own way you know i mean you're you're vilified all over social media i see it all the time ryan and you are so absolutely fearless and just standing up to it and um you know we we all pay a price and when your politics is public and you're being publicly smeared you know then a lot of crazies latch on to it and this it it get, becomes its own mob mentality and you know i am blamed for you know anything that's not going well for the democrats i i get vilified for it um uh, but you know you 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 kind of get used to it i have to say i mean yeah. the 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 most terrifying thing to me was when the senate intelligence committee started uh um Calling my house and telling me that uh, I needed to to, um, to talk to them about um, my role in the uh, in the 2016 campaign, and they were like framing me, like I I was you know I had committed treason, and it was utterly terrifying. And mm. at the time, I had a really hard time finding uh, lawyers who would be willing to take the case, mm. and um, I am forever indebted. To um, Mara Verhayden Hilliard with the partnership for uh, what is it called? The partnership for social justice or political justice or something? I don't remember the full name of the uh, nonprofit, but she does terrific work um, uh, related to mostly mostly First Amendment work. This is really the first political case she was taking on. Um, But, you know, she was very dedicated to fighting McCarthyism, and she really saw this as like a poster child McCarthyism. And, you know, I felt like she saved my life because I was just utterly terrified um, of what it was going to be like to face this alone or without good legal support. And she came in and saved the day and was a terrific lawyer. And after three years of this um I got a thank you note from the Senate intelligence committee and yeah well this was in their write up in their fifth report on um on uh, Russia's interference in the election they basically gave me a full exoneration and thanked me for my cooperation and you know that was like after taking over my life for three years and the hmm. fight was a uh it was kind of a, a an uplifting fight and I learned a lot in the course of the fight. And um, you know, I feel like I will forever be a part of that fight now for just our our political rights and for our First Amendment rights and our rights to protest and our right to um political affiliation. Uh you know, I, I lived and breathed that for for three years. And came out of it feeling like way stronger. Um, so now it's like, it's like it doesn't freak me out (laughs) anymore. And I get smeared all the time and I just learn not to go places where I think I'm going to be publicly attacked. Um, I, I just instinctively, I think we all do that. We don't like put ourselves, uh, in, you know, in the line of fire when we know we can avoid it. So I kind of do that and I have to think a lot about uh, how you know what groups I join and what social events I go to like who's gonna be there and are they gonna be publicly uh, trying to humiliate me and you know because you, you just get tired of fighting it constantly so but it's gotten much much better and I have to say I feel like I'm a barometer and I can tell by the way people react to me whether we're in a downswing or an upswing and I have to say from what I'm reading right now, uh, we are in a big big upswing. By we, I mean us political rebels. We are in a big upswing right now, and people are really identifying with us and kind of looking to collaborate.
0: Well, you, you said earlier something interesting in the show where you, you, you touched on that the reason Bernie uh, never wanted to take his fight and his movement mm. outside mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party and really challenge uh, uh, the powers that be was because he was scared uh, of being called a, a Ralph nader and mm-hmm. w- w- what i find striking about that is is now in retrospect after my political awakening and seeing how corrupt the democratic mm-hmm. party is and how there's no path to liberation mm-hmm. and justice for all inside of the democratic mm-hmm. party or the republican party i look mm-hmm. at someone like rolf nader and i look at yes you jill stein you guys are the heroes to me because you guys stood up against the machine mm-hmm. And and you fought even when there there was there the movement wasn't as big as it is today back in 2016 mm-hmm. and, and so mm-hmm. it's like you stood against the the most corrupt people in the world and the and the two biggest and the what I see is the two most corrupt institutions in the world which are the Democrats and Republicans and you mm-hmm. fought for the people so what, what Bernie <laughs> thinks is you know he he doesn't want to be called Ralph Nader or, or, or compared to you I think you guys are the heroes I mean you guys are the ones. Who stood against the corporate corruption and you stood against these parties. Whereas, you know, it's it's really easy to just try to run inside the Democratic Party. It takes a lot of courage to, to, to challenge power and to challenge the Democratic Party and Republican parties. It doesn't take that much courage to just run as a Democrat. You know what I'm saying? So so and, it's and, and, just interesting and, and. hearing that. Like, I, I consider you guys the heroes. And I wish that Bernie and AOC, frankly, they have huge platforms that the movement gave them, and what they don't understand is if they went independent, if they became, you know, ran independent as independent socialists or under the Green Party, they could do so much for the working class that way. You're not going to get. I mean, look at them right now; they've completely folded to Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. <laughs> and, and said she was going to fight back against the political establishment. When does the fighting begin? Because all I've seen is a, is a fold. You know, they they, and even now they voted Bernie, AOC, the entire squad. They voted for Mm -hmm. for this Mm -hmm. 50 billion dollars for this proxy war with Russia, you know, Mm -hmm. while the people here are struggling. I mean, we're seeing no fight. We're seeing the Democrats after Bernie's two movements. They're no closer to embracing any of his policies. Mm -hmm. Yet he Mm -hmm. still keeps, you know, funneling people into the party. I just don't get it because I think Mm -hmm. that is as much what's stopping real change in this country. Imagine if we got all that movement to actually fight for Medicare for All and, and an independent party that was going to actually hold power accountable and not, you know, and not cozy up to power.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I want to say I feel that, um, that love and admiration, really, for every person in the movement. And, and I feel like when you run a, as a candidate, especially you know, at the presidential level, you're in the target, here's more, but you're also more protected because you have people around you and you have you have kind of a built in team and stuff like that. And and it's people out there, you know, who are um, occupying you know, or liberating, uh, you know, home housing, you know, unoccupied housing who are doing home liberations. You know, it's people who are fighting for unions and who are facing uh, firing and intimidation by their bosses. You know, it's, it's everyone in the movement really who I think is just a hero, you know, and we need to remember that. And I think mm. we need to remember that, that we have the numbers. We have the numbers. And, and, and it's like we don't need to worry about, uh, how to do it or finding the magic solution or how we're going to persuade the unpersuadable. We don't need them. We've got everybody we need, you know, between the people who are already with the program but they don't know where to uh, connect or the people who would be with the program if they knew that there was a program that's right, right there. You know, I feel like that's where we need to be laser-focused yeah. on, on what's going to work for us. Because if we do the work, uh, if we build it, they will come.
1: Hmm. I see Let's take an another caller. Yep. Let me pull this one up. All right. I'm doing that. I just want to... It generally, it genuinely is baffling to me that so many people have this disdain and hatred for Ralph Nader, and yet George W. Bush has been rehabilitated by some of those same people that say, "Well, at least you know he was uh, he was painting and he was kind." And remember that time him and Michelle Obama, Obama had a good laugh together. And it's like the same people who are <laughs> mad at Ralph Nader, for playing the spoiler, and getting George W. Bush elected, quote unquote, playing the spoiler, or. The same people that are are more frustrated at Nader than 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 Bush. It just it's one of those things that it it doesn't it doesn't click in my brain how they could do that, but it Mm -hmm. seems to be a regular occurrence. (laughs) Yeah,
5: I feel like they're going to do the same thing to Trump uh, at some point. It's going to take maybe eight years or so. But hey, much love to everybody.
0: Much love to everybody. You're right. They are gonna. They will rehabilitate these comfortable liberals in ten years. You're absolutely right. They will. They will rehabilitate Trump. Oh, he wasn't that bad no <laughs> doubt about it 100
2: much love to you Shimako we'll be in touch
5: okay Ryan Robin Jills much love to y'all and much love to the chat thank you for having me on um first uh thank for you for just being just here little, yeah just to give a little bit of my um, political background like I, when i first um, voted for president i was in college and the first person was a democrat which was john kerry and i didn't know but i was very in my infancy of politics but one thing that I did, do remember vividly is looking down the ballot and seeing Green Party, Constitutional Party, Libertarian Party. And I was thinking, like, how come I've never heard of these uh-huh. other parties? <laughs> and from, from then on, just a, a long story short, because I do have a, a little bit of a complicated getting into politics because I was originally a Ron Paul supporter. But I've ever <laughs> since then, I've voted Green Party from then on, people were even amazed that I didn't vote for Obama. But that was because he, mm-hmm. as a senator, he um, mm-hmm. voted for telecom immunity. I don't know if you all remember, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but from then on, I was like, "How is this constitutional law professor voting to give to take away? Uh, you know, our freedom of uh, privacy by voting for this bill?" And I was like, "No, I can't vote for this guy,"s and I voted Green Party ever since to this day. So um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I've gone talk to, to a couple callings and actually before i go into that Mm -hmm. idea i know um jill you talked about how there was a almost a meeting of the minds of the leftists right before Mm -hmm. bernie ran and i'm I'm curious if you were invited to after he ran and and lost you know they created the sanders institute and they had an event (laughs) where they brought all these leftists i remember Jenk from tyt was there and a whole bunch of leftists Mm -hmm. were you invited by any chance i'm just curious
2: oh no no, I have never been invited to any mm. official Democratic Party function, mm.
5: are, are you aware of what I'm talking about, though? It wasn't necessarily a Democrat, because it was the Sanders oh. Institute that sponsored it.
2: I mm. see. Yes. Um, no, I was not. And, mm, I, and okay. I do vaguely recall something to okay. that effect.
5: Okay. That's but it was way
2: above – it was above my pay grade.
5: That's way. disappointing. But um, so I just want to – and I don't want to take up too much time, even um, but basically – I've talked to a couple of people. I talked to Sammy Sabs. I talked mm. to um, mm-hmm. Katie Halper, and to, I think it was today. I talked to Jordan Sheridan about this idea mm. that I'm working on. And oh, basically, cool. it's it's an idea of um, mar- marrying electoral politics and mutual aid, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. and I would consider it more of a mutual aid first electoral mm-hmm. politics strategy.
4: Mm-hmm and mm-hmm. basically
5: think of it as if and i'm going to use um nina turner as an example she's mm-hmm. the last person that just ran and what if nina turner for the past two years before the primary now of course the first special election and we know the situation that happened but let's say a candidate two years before because the whole idea is um we saw the justice democrats feel as a, a um, leftist strategy and we've seen different strategies fail and this is just another iteration of mm-hmm. me trying something new and I've, I've come to the conclusion that if we try to run the same race that mm-hmm. the establishment runs, we're going to lose. So if you're talking mm-hmm. about like putting TV ads, and I'm not saying not to put TV ads, but if you're thinking, oh, we got to raise all this money, we got to give it to consul- mm-hmm. consultants, they're going to take 10% and put it in their own pocket and then give the rest to the TV ads
4: and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. We have mm-hmm. to do it
5: differently. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. um, what if Nina turned two years before her primary said, okay, I'm going to start an organization called the Nina Turner Mutual Aid in my mm. district. And mm-hmm. w- I'm going to have my volunteers go around. They're going to knock on doors and they're going to say, hi, I'm with Nina Turner's Mutual Aid. How can I help you? What do you need help immediately in your life right now? If you're an uh, elderly mm-hmm. person you had a couch that you've been meaning to pull out, but you can't do it on your own, Is that something that we can help you out with right now? Or can we schedule somebody to come by and do it? Do you need help with mowing your lawn? Do you have uh, anything that you need help with? Uh, And also, hey, can you help somebody else, your your neighbor? Are you, for example, just as as an example, if I'm not going to do it, what's your occupation? Oh, you're a lawyer. Can you provide a certain Mm -hmm. amount of hours of pro bono? To, to the um, organization that we can connect somebody who might need your services? Can we connect somebody with you? So now you're building a community within your district of people, of an of, uh, organization that people can start to have fond feelings of. And because you're calling it the Nina Turner Mutual Aid or the Case Study Mutual Aid or the Ryan uh, Mutual Aid or the Jill Stein Mutual Aid, you're building name recognition, which is the, what the most important thing. One, or, one of the most important thing in electoral politics is to have that name recognition, so that a year later, which it would be a year out of you know running a traditional campaign, you could then after building that community, building up that um, list, a donor, um, not donor list, but like mutual aid list, text messaging list, etc. You could say, hey, um, Nina Turner is now running for office, and she's a, per, a person of the people, as you can tell because we've she helped create this organization. We will love your support, and then then you could kind of run, start running a traditional campaign. What do you think about that idea?
2: I think that's totally golden. I mean, I, I in a way, I think that's the only thing that works for
4: mm-hmm.
2: grassroots campaigns. And whether it's like something you started or it's something you joined, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you need to be there in the community, serving the community, exactly, assisting the community. If you try to just come out and say, hey, I'm running for office, run for me, you don't deserve anybody's votes, you know. And if you look at uh, Shama Sawant, um, you know, the uh, city councilor in Seattle.
0: Yep, socialist alternative uh, party.
2: Yes, yes. They were, you know, they were really uh, in the fabric of the community before she ever started running for, for the office. And. Um, you know, they just, they, her campaign organically grew out of the social movements. And yep. I think what you've just described is basically that, you know, and there are mm-hmm. different, um, uh, versions of that, but mm-hmm. essentially I think that is totally the way to go. Mm-hmm. And thank you for putting it out there.
5: Just one last point. I'm going to say, because, you know, um, TV ads, uh, really messed up, uh, Nina Turner's race and radio ads. And I think yeah. when you build, um, that type of relationship, and with the mass, and you know, one of the the things that uh, I know we we know is that voting was very low, right? But if you can mm-hmm. galvanize an mm-hmm. organization where mm-hmm. you're, literally the goal should be to reach like every single um, yeah, I don't know how realistic or unrealistic that is, but your goal as a mutual aid organization is to knock on every single door. And if let's say only seventeen percent of the people voted, if you're reaching a hundred percent of the people, and then you play a numbers game, let's say um out of the 50 of those um percent are going to get involved and then out of that 50 maybe 20% actually vote that, mm-hmm. that that's already above the 17% that originally voted you know so you're kind of getting around that problem of tv ads and radio ads and, and hopefully that's the idea. And then the last thing is, when you knock on doors, you're not asking, hey, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you an Independent? Are you a Green Party? You're not asking that questions, which would be very alienating. You're, mm-hmm. you're just helping people. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you might actually get support from people who might consider themselves on the right or conservatives. But if they, mm-hmm. they totally. think of, oh, this is the Nina Turner Mutual Aid that's run- Nina Turner is running, okay. Even though I usually run GOP or I usually vote GOP or vote. Republican I, because she helped me with this and this and this I will give her my vote that's my re, 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 what's that word that you're giving back what you got
4: mm. um,
5: anyway mm-hmm. thank you so much. is,
0: now, is this I, I have a quick question is this idea like would the is this going inside the Democratic Party or would they run out you know as the Green Party or a socialist party or independent because here's my opinion I love Nina Turner I've worked with Nina Turner I've um, I believe she lost because she was trying to to trying to make a middle position between, you know, oh, I'm still a Democrat, but I'm also, you know, I'm a leftist and progressive and try, you know, you, you can't do that, you know, either you are a Democrat or you're not like, there's no middle ground anymore. And I feel like we've seen what happens when, when quote unquote progressives try to run inside the Democratic Party, I mean, AOC is the the AOC in 2022 is not the same AOC of 2018, who was literally saying I don't care if I have one term in office because I can accomplish more in one term by being you know adversarial to power and taking on Pelosi and fighting back against the Democrats. It's like. The mo- Nina ran her campaign it was she wasn't adversarial to Biden she was you know she she mm-hmm. was just kind of playing the game and I just don't mm-hmm. think that works anymore I think people mm-hmm. are smarter than that I think Nina's smarter than that and I wish that Nina would 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 use her amazing message and spirit and energy and run a, as uh, in the green party or or a, mm-hmm. in a socialist party or mm-hmm. or, or as mm-hmm. an independent because I think she has so much to offer the movement but i just I know I take a hard line on this, but I just do not see. The Democratic Party ever changing. It is a party that is owned by Wall Street. It is a party that raised seven billion dollars in 2020 for the presidential race and the congressional races. The, mm-hmm. the Republicans only put, only took five billion dollars and raised and spent five billion. They 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 raised mm-hmm. two more billion than the Republicans. The Democrats mm-hmm. are maybe use different rhetoric than the Republicans, but they are just as corrupt. They are just as racist. And yes, the Democrats are just as fascist. They're literally installing a disinformation agency in the Department of Homeland Security <laughs> to try to control the information that the American people get and receive. There is nothing more fascist than that. They just get away with this stuff because they, they use nicer rhetoric than the Republicans, but they are just as bad as Republicans. And I am fully on board with Chris Hedges when he says that they are the more effective evil. I think that Democrats, they're not the lesser evil. They're the more effective evil <laughs> because they dupe so many people. And you know where they're duping? The Democrats are duping poor and working class and marginalized communities. They are fundraising off the pain and plight of marginalized communities, offering, saying they're going to give them hope and change, and then they get into power and stab us all in the back over and over and over again. And I don't know how many more cycles it's going to take for these progressives to understand that, to understand who the Democratic Party is and go back in history. The Democratic Party is the, old, is the oldest party in the world, along with the Tories, they're the oldest capitalist party in the world. They have always been a party of capitalism and imperialism. They've always been the party of the CIA and the FBI. The only, the only thing is they have fooled people. They're, and the only time in history the Democrats have ever done anything isn't when people voted for them no matter what. It was when people, when socialists and communists and the labor movement after the Great Depression pressured the Democratic Party. And we got a little bit of social reform. So Mm -hmm. if you ever want any change in this country, you don't vote for Democrats or Republicans. You fight back against both of these parties with everything you got. You do that. And if you want to be a part of the movement electorally, I just don't see how you can represent the movement by being a a Democrat or a Republican. And that might rub some people the wrong way, but it's just I feel like we're in a space where we need to be. Mm -hmm. It needs to be clear, because right now I feel like Bernie's doing us all a disservice. By just, I mean, people are convinced that the, mm-hmm. that the Democrats are going to support Medicare for all someday. They have mm-hmm. the entire government right now. and We can't even get a vote on Medicare for all. We got a super majority in California where the Democrats control all the legislatures, and mm-hmm. and, and, and Gavin Newsom vetoed ranked choice voting. He approved ten thousand oil permits for big oil in the last two mm-hmm. years, and he, you know what I'm saying? And he will not. He will not. They won't even bring Medicare for all single payer bill to the. To a, to a vote in California. That's what a supermajority gets you. It gets you nothing. And it gets corporations and billionaires all their tax breaks. And it, it, and it gets everyone else who's struggling lots of platitudes and pandering. That's not enough anymore. And I think we have to be very clear about that.
5: No, definitely. I, I hear what you're saying. Right now, this idea, I'm still flushing out the idea, and I would love to come back on and, and talk to you once I, I get something more solid. But, um, my idea as of right now is that I would want each district to decide for themselves. I, I came up with this idea called the People's Gauntlet, and for those in the chat, anybody wants to check it out, peoplesgauntlet.com, and I made sure that okay. I wanted to make it, um, nonpartisan, um, meaning Beautiful. that any anybody could, um, apply to mm. it so you could be a uh, and basically what it is there's there's five gauntlets and it's all um topics that progressives care about so and the, the idea is if you're running for office if you're one of our if you want our money if you want our our us to volunteer for you we want to know exactly where you stand on these various issues um and and basically um there's a candidate section and We only have about five people there right now, and Imani Oakley's our most promising um, candidate that's on there that we're excited about her to hopefully get elected um, through the primary. Um, But basically, a Republican can apply, and and I believe there might be a unicorn out there that might say, hey, I'm coming from a different angle, but I would support Medicare for All because it's the cheapest – or not cheapest, but like the most – economically sound way of providing health care or most efficient way for and i would and i would vote for somebody in my district i would vote for a republican who was more to the left on that issue than the democrat you know what i'm saying so that would be i would take that same thinking to this other idea which I'm right now I'm, i'm going to call it the mutual aid party and even though i know everybody's like oh here's another third party but just for them now i'm thinking i really like that idea of a mutual aid party where mutual aid is where you're galvanizing the community around and it's also it's hard to to really be to to be for me only as a candidate so remember hillary clinton when she ran they asked her um why are you running for president and she didn't answer the question well anybody who runs as a mutual aid party candidate, going around having their volunteers knocking on the door, asking this question first of how can I help you? Literally, you're not you're a not me us to to borrow that from Bernie's campaign. You're right. a person that's selfless that you're trying to. At, even if the, at the worst case scenario, guys, if you lose your race, what did you do? You just created a great healthy organization of helping people, and you even if you helped one person, you could say. Instead of all these other progressive races where they burn <laughs> millions of dollars. And no, that's a that's the,
0: that's the beautiful part of themselves. your idea. Instead of spending all that money volunteers. on wow, TV ads. People. Exactly. Okay. Instead of spending all that money on TV ads, you're spending money on the community, on the people who need food, yes. who need blankets, who need tents, who need Their house fixed or or whatever issue it is. I'm on board with that. I think that's beautiful. I, I mean, if you are again, $7 billion was spent by the Democrats and $5 billion. So you put that together, that's over $12 billion was spent. Our entire elections that they call democratic are literally an industry now where, where consultants just profit and make all this money, you know, and, and, and you wonder why the TV networks, why all the corporate media, I mean, they're so complicit in all of this from Fox to MSNBC to CNN. They're running the political ads. <laughs> they're getting a lot of this money, a lot of this $12 billion. So, I mean, this idea that we're ever going to see change and, and two parties who who profit off of why are these two parties ever going to change a sy- the system that they're literally profiting off of, you know? So that's why I think outside of the box ideas like you called with, with tonight are a great case. So, so thank you very much. Um, and I think we're, gosh, thank we're already so yes, thank you. you and you all have
5: a great rest of the night. Ryan, you Bob, too. Jill, Jill, such
3: you too.
1: Thank
0: you, to you, you so much. You too. Have you so much. And I think, I think Joe, I've kept you a long time here. It's what an hour and 43 minutes in. Um, I, I do know, I think I see Susan, though, down in the thing. I would love to get Susan's input because I know she's been so much a part of this journey. And she's, she's you know, as soon as the Roe stuff happened, Democrats were, in addition to blaming, of course, Jill Stein, they were blaming uh, Susan Sarandon. Susan, do you want to jump in?
2: <laughs>
0: Let me see if I invite her. If she will. Sorry to, to be so bold and, and call you out, but I see you down there and I can't.
1: Let's see. Oh uh, well, I tried. I don't think it's Rob. Do you? Are you able to uh, make Susan a speaker? No, I'm not, and I'm not sure if that's the real Susan Sarandon or someone with Susan Sarandon <laughs> is their their avatar <laughs> and screen name. But if it's that's that's true. The real Susan Sarandon, that'd be that'd be pretty 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 cool.
0: Wow. Well, anyways, uh, Joe, do you, any parting thoughts? Uh, any anything you kind of want to leave us on tonight? And I, and I just personally want to thank you for. Everything you've done for the movement—I uh, can't even imagine what it's been like for you uh, the past four years with the entire uh, Democratic Party blaming you for for, for their loss. Uh, I mean, I always think of—I'm a big sports fan—and it's like when a sports team loses, they don't blame like their opponent. They, they work harder in the offseason. They, they figure out areas that they can improve, and then they do that and get better. But but the Democrats, they, they literally feel entitled to our vote. They blame other people for their losses instead of actually taking accountability. And, and here we are again. They have the entire government. And instead of actually helping the people, they're helping their corporate donors and coming up with a million excuses for why, with power right now, they can't actually help any of us. And it's just blasphemy to me. So uh, I just, I salute you and everyone in the movement who continues to fight uh, for dignity and justice for all people. And I'm just mm-hmm. honored that you took this time with us tonight. Um, but please, uh, parting thoughts?
2: Um, I'm, I'm just so excited after this conversation. And, you know, even in the run-up to this thing, um, you know, I was making a point to get on Twitter and, <laughs> and you know, take the time to... Uh, put stuff out there. And I kept seeing your tweets and feeling like, oh, he's speaking my mind. You know? <laughs> and that just kept happening over and over. And and it was just really fun to get into this, um, you know, this kind of uh, amplification loop uh, with you around this and, and some others. And it just feels like there is the makings of a huge uprising here, yep. and we are at this real uh, breaking point moment. And we can turn that breaking point into a tipping point. And you know, I I got into this stuff really as a uh, as a healthcare provider, you know, and and just seeing how people's lives were being devastated without healthcare, but also seeing how people's lives were being devastated by. Um, environmental injustice and, you know, and uh, pollution and and toxic threats and asthma and cancer and uh, yada da, you know, and, and so I was an issue activist for a while until I realized well, no, it's really um, you know, it's, it's a political thing, you know. So I, I moved from being uh, from, I, I say, from clinical medicine to political medicine um, and I feel like from that perspective, I just keep seeing how we're at this kind of critical breaking point, you know, in terms of our economy, it's just become so abusive. People can't live with it. You know, people are dying literally from abuse on the job. Um, likewise, people are dying from abuse by a, a predatory health care system. Uh, likewise, our environment and the climate are at these really critical tipping points right now. You know, um, the Colorado River is drying up. That happens mm-hmm. to supply the California farming system, which happens to supply half of the fruits and vegetables for this country. You know, so people think, oh, the climate emergency. Well, that's in Bangladesh. You know, I don't need to worry about it here. You know, or it's in Latin America. No, it, it, it is coming and no one is immune from it and you know things are just going uh from the frying pan into the fire you know like literally i'm i have to say as well as figuratively on climate we're at a really desperate tipping point right now and likewise we are on war and nuclear weapons and and it feels like no one can sit this out anymore you know we're all in the target here we are all being impoverished and endangered and um uh, uh, and, and sickened literally by the abuses of our, uh, of our system, whether you call it, uh, end stage capitalism or end stage empire, you know, uh, take your pick. We have a system which is gunning for us right now and in which we cannot survive. And this may, uh, you know, pus may come to shove right now in, in all of our lifetimes. So, you know, it's not just a future thing. This is a now thing. You know, whatever issue is, is front and center in your life and your, your struggle for, uh, for respect and, and, and security. Um, they are all, all these roosters right now, you know, they are all coming home to roost. And, um, we, we very much need to fight this. We need to fight it together. It's a big wake up moment. And there's incredible potential right now to turn the breaking point into a tipping point. And I'm really energized that uh, we've been able to get together around this kind of crisis moment and have this discussion and start connecting the dots in a way that could be a real game changer, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and so I really look forward to um, keeping this going. Absolutely. Uh, and I'd
0: also encourage people, you mentioned some great uh, Green Party candidates who are running this cycle. I also see Delilah uh, Who's running in texas for for governor i saw her in the chat and we actually had we spoke with her uh about a month ago and she's fantastic i encourage people to go to the green party's website get involved uh with 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 candidates who are fighting for you know an economy and and a country that puts peace and people and planet over profits uh you know i I, and and know too that the green party their green new deal is an eco-socialist green new deal uh it is the green new deal that AOC and the squad kind of co-opted, and and their version, the Green Party's version, is the original Green New Deal that is not uh, cater to Wall Street or back down, and yep. it is eco-socialist. Yep. So uh, nice. that is so important, I know, to a lot of our uh, revolutionary brothers and sisters who, you know, want to see. I mean, who are trying to build the revolution, which. You know, I wholeheartedly support, but I think if we can get, you know, eco-socialists in there, if we can get and support some of these Green Party candidates, that is a step uh, in the right direction. It's definitely a step better than the Democrats uh, that are all running who are just offering rhetoric and then won't actually fight for anything. So I know you mentioned Matthew Hoy. I know there's Delilah uh, and, and some candidates out of California. I encourage everyone to go to the Green Party's website, uh, check out candidates if they're in your area. Uh, and, and get involved, because I think, uh, you know, if you're gonna support electoral politics, I just don't see a path in the Democratic Party, so let's start supporting the, the Green Party and Socialist Parties, I just think it makes so much sense.
2: And if I can, um, please. Uh, that's at Matthew uh, J Ho, um, Matthew J, I believe, or it might be B-H-O-H. If you just Google him, Matthew Ho, um, Uh, senate candidate and remember when we're talking about congress even if it's not your state if it's a progressive they're fighting for you you know the the issues at the level of congress and senate are really common uh across our state boundaries so i'd say you know look at that campaign like it's your own and you can volunteer from a distance you can phone bank you know if you are able to throw something into the hat you can do that but there are a gazillion ways that you can help and uh, really make all the difference uh, in this handful of campaigns. But Matthew, Matthew in particular, um, is one of the campaigns I know very well. I've heard about Delilah's campaign in Texas as well. But I'd urge you to just uh, go straight to Matthew's campaign. He is fighting uh, to get on the ballot right now. He's probably going to make it. And then, um, you know, and then we can really get into the bigger fight for the actual election. But it's it's a really exciting thing. And it'd be wonderful to, uh, you know, to just start building our teamwork right now uh, in the trenches, working for some candidates who are really working for us.
0: I couldn't agree more. Well, Jill, thank you again. And, and thank all of you for joining us tonight. This is this has been a, a really nice uh, almost two hours now. And Rob, uh, thank you as well. Any closing thoughts from Rob?
1: I just—it's—it was really great to talk to you, Jill. I'm—I'm I'm excited that, you know, it—it's really easy to lose hope, and I think once you talk mm. about actual solutions, when you, when you start to kind of flush some things out, it makes you realize that there is hope and there is still a reason to fight, and so it's always good to. Feel energized after a conversation instead of the usual scrolling Twitter for a couple hours and feeling <laughs> impending doom.
0: And, and can I just
1: doom scrolling. That?
2: Yeah, yes. well, Rob really <laughs> appreciated all your all your input tonight, and that sense of hopelessness is exactly what they are engineering. You know, yes. it, it's like they um, they engineer hopelessness and powerlessness. So consider yep. it an act of of political defiance to reject that and find the source of our power. It's there, it's not always obvious and they don't want you to know about it and they yeah. will do everything in their power to um, uh, to ensure that you cannot find it. But you do have that power, like Alice Walker says, biggest way people give up power is by not knowing we have it to start with. We do and, have it and it's time to use it.
0: And also don't underestimate that so much of the fight is now, especially in the digital, digital age, it is an information warfare fight and You know, how do you get anyone to, to go along and obey a system that is completely rigged against them? You, you control the information, right? You can, and they, the CIA used to do a lot of that nonsense and, and that's how they got the American people to support so many wars in the past. Now, really, it's like, I mean, the, the, there's so many former CIA operatives that just work or are analysts on MSNBC and, and, and CNN and Fox News. So the talking points just all get repeated. But my point is, is so much of this is also just educating and, And educating your family members, your friends, letting them know that like there is Hope is possible. We can have a better world. We can have an economy that works for everyone. We do not have to continue to live under this decrepit capitalist system. That that, that, that the American people, the 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 working class abroad, the workers control the American economy. You know, it all stops Mm -hmm. if our labor stops. So Mm -hmm. you know, these CEOs and 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 the people up there, they think they control everything, but they don't. And so I just think it's so important that independent media, also Jill, supporting your fight and the fight you're doing. So. Uh, Other people can get on the ballot. Uh, How can people support you in that? I think it's JillStein.net. Go to JillStein.net. And and I know you've raised almost all the money you need, but there's like a little bit left. And I know you're too proud to say it, but I'm going to say it right now. If anyone can throw in a few (laughs) dollars to help Jill, it is so important that we protect uh, independent candidates, Green Party candidates, socialist candidates ability to get on the ballot and not be uh, uh, suppressed and and, and shamed and, and and have an entire party that gets to gets to tell us like what democracy is and, and tell us that democracy is on the line or, or you have to vote to save democracy while they're literally kicking third parties off ballots like the hypocrisy from the Democrats <laughs> is just unlike anything I've ever seen once you open your eyes so Just, you know, I just wanted to remind people that this is an information fight. And now we have our own information. There's so much independent media. There's so many people doing good things. And the last thing I'll say is Colin is amazing. Like, they reached out to Rob and I to do this show on here. I couldn't believe it. With so many platforms, YouTube now, even censoring leftists and socialists, they (laughs) approached us to do this show. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, do you know who I am? (laughs) Do you know what I say? (laughs) Do you know that I, like can't stand both political parties and and am and, and a revolutionary socialist. And they're like, we don't care. Yes, that's fine. And oh. so, you know, I am very encouraged to know that like, there's a space now in our politics for people who, who 10 years ago, you couldn't tell people you were a socialist or a Marxist. And now, you know, that we're, we're, we're fighting and we're fighting back against uh, the, the duopoly and against capitalism. And I think, uh, you know, I I do feel a lot of hope. And and again, Jill, thank you so much for this conversation. It it really filled up my soul. So thank you.
2: Awesome. I I feel exactly the same. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Ryan. And let's keep it up.
0: Yes. Let's stay in touch. All right. Have a a great weekend, everybody. Yes. And thank you guys. All best. Yep. Bye-bye now. Bye.